He knew it was wrong, but he just couldn't stop himself. It all began a few years ago on the internet. A few images looked at became a few videos watched. Occasional lapses became a habit. And now he was on his way to meet a prostitute. It was truly unbelievable. Even he could hardly believe that he was doing this, but he was. If he had seen his future, would he have stopped? His wife discovering, his marriage ending, his children losing their respect for him, his life spiralling downwards towards lonely misery. That was all ahead of him. If he could see it, would he have stopped? She knew it was wrong, but she just couldn't help herself. She needed people's love. And at first it had been little more than a legitimate desire for friendship. But as time went on she found herself reacting with fury and deep despondency at the slightest bit of rejection. She found herself craving the attention of friends. So that now they kept their distance. She found herself hunting for someone who fully accepted her. She was no longer able to give. She just manipulated people to give to her. She comforted herself sometimes with shopping sprees, occasionally even alcohol. If she'd seen where it was heading, would she have stopped? The sad truth is that a, a story, something like that, could be written for every one of us. The songs of ascent that we've been uh, looking at, they are songs for pilgrims. Songs for uh, Israelite travellers through the valleys of Palestine as they went on their, th- their three annual pilgrimages up to Jerusalem. And those songs explore various um, dangers on the journeys of those pilgrims, but not particularly the trivial dimensions of them. They explore the spiritual dangers for um, pilgrims. And as such, Christians always have seen these songs as useful for them. We too are on a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage to meet with God, a pilgrimage to eternity. And um, 
just to remind you, we have seen that the uh, songs of ascents fall into a set of triplets, relatively loosely organised, but, but exploring different aspects of the dangers along the way. Psalms 120 to 122 were more about setting out. The next triplet were more about um, um, uh, trials of, of walking the narrow way, as Jesus put it. Can we deal with being despised? Um, uh, and uh, so on. Psalms 126 to 128, we looked at 126 last week. Big question, will we achieve anything? Life seems to be a bit of a disappointment. Will we persevere? Those who sow with tears will reap. We saw last, uh, last week. Uh, Psalms 129 to 131 are specifically exploring the problem of sin. In uh, Psalm 129, it's the sin of others. If you look back, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. 131, um, uh, the next psalm, explores having peace with God. But 130 that we're in this morning is about what those two people in the story were struggling with. It's about our sin. See, because the truth is that there are many, many dangers to Christians externally. The deepest dangers to Christians come from within. They come from our own hearts. We are the authors of our own demise. And again and again, in my experience, I see Christians deeply damaging themselves. So, sometimes, uh, what you see is a sort of slow, incremental growth of damage to their personalities. Things that were um, understandable immaturities when they were young. They don't get dealt with. They become hardened into our character and slowly we become more and more distorted and dwarfed and damaged by those sins. Sometimes... The, uh, the build-up is almost invisible. But like a dam slowly uh, filling up with a weight of water, eventually it cracks and there is a calamity. And I have seen enough calamities in Christian lives to know that, it, that uh, those dangers are much more common than we might like to think. The uh, truth of uh, James is very, very clear. James chapter 1, James writes, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Vivid imagery of, of conception and growth and birth of a baby which is still born. Sin is a deep and dangerous enemy to us and we must understand that and we must engage with it seriously as believers. That's what the psalmist here is doing in Psalm 130. His cry shows the seriousness with which he takes his sin. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The most important thing we need to understand about the depths that he cries from is, uh, as one Bible dictionary puts it, it is a region very close to hell. He feels that. He feels himself actually being dragged away to eternal separation from God. He is in the depths. If we do not engage with the fact that our human hearts uh, have this horrible, powerful propensity to drag us away from God, we will not take seriously those uh, um, behaviour patterns that can cause us so much damage. I remember um, um, uh, reading with Deep Soberness, uh, Oscar Wilde's um, little work, De Profundis, a number of years ago. Wilde was um, uh, at the height of his fame and adulation when he was exposed um, and uh, convicted of uh, homosexual behaviour, which was illegal in those days, shamed and sent I think it was to Reading Jail, in fact. And um, he wrote this essay to himself. One of the things he said was this, I must say to myself that I ruined myself. Nobody great or small can be ruined except by his own hand. Terrible as what was what the world did to me. What I did to myself was more terrible still. And that story, if you've lived for a while, could be repeated a hundred times. I, I remember a man that I, I used to know. Um, uh, he was a bit of a one for the ladies. Uh, not surprisingly, he um, eventually started a steady, adulterous relationship with another woman. Of course, that resulted in divorce. Um, 
subsequently his children were severely damaged. They were rich, so they sent their son off to a boarding school because now they lived apart, they couldn't really care for him. And there he learned to take drugs. Uh, I knew him a little when he was homeless and addicted to drugs on the streets of Cambridge and um, four or five years ago I heard he died of an overdose. The havoc that our sin reeks in people's lives and Christians are not immune. He cries out, this psalmist, out of the depths I cry. But notice, he can cry to God. That is vitally important for us to see. He can cry to God. Even though he feels like he is an inch from hell, he can cry to God. He has not completely lost his relationship with God. He who is a believer can turn to the living God and he can cry to him. He is not on his own. Till your last dying breath, you can still cry out to God. And so he does. He cries to God. He acknowledges the depth and the severity of his situation, but he has not cut off from seeking God's help. Indeed, as he comes to God, he expresses something else profound. He still has a deep, deep hope. Not a hope, though, that minimises the seriousness of his sins. If you, O Lord, verse 3, kept a record of sins, uh, O Lord, who could stand? I stand actually, he says, with every other single human being who is a sinner. There is no one who is perfect. There is no one who can stand before you, God. I recognise that. But I have alongside that a deep hope. But, verse 4, with you there is forgiveness. You know, it's, it's commonly said, to err is human, isn't it? Which is almost what he's saying in verse 3. You know, every human being sins. Which is absolutely true. But overwhelmingly when that is said, it is said in the context of seeking to minimise the seriousness of our sin. And that's not how the Bible sees this statement of the universality of our sin. The Bible sees it as a statement of the universality of our deep danger. We're in trouble. We can't stand. 
to err is human. But that means we need desperately, every single one of us, God's forgiveness. It is the, the most revolutionary thing imaginable to say, but with you there is forgiveness. For Christians here this morning, we say it almost every day. I want it to sink deep into your heart. That forgiveness was one at incredible cost. It took the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to die for you to win that forgiveness. That forgiveness is offered to you totally free of charge. All you need to do is go in humility and seek it. And that forgiveness is your only hope. Your only hope. If you haven't felt the, 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 the cords of sin that tend to bind you up and make you do what you don't want to do and leave you at the end of the day dissatisfied with your behaviour and fearful of God's judgement, then you haven't seen into your own heart yet. And the answer to it is not going to be somehow you making yourself perfect and acceptable to God. The answer to it is only going to be recognising with God that there is forgiveness. Because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Because he offers it not because we deserve it but because he loves to give it. We must simply go and say, please forgive me. And notice the next thing he says. Fascinating. But with you there is forgiveness, he says, and you uh, might expect, um, uh, it might say, therefore we can relax with you. That's not what it says. Therefore you are feared. for, for, for For a believer, you see, We have to hold in our hearts at the same time a healthy horror of our sin and a healthy fear of God. Who is the God of justice? As well as a healthy um, confidence in God's forgiveness. It's not therefore we are terrified but neither is it therefore we can treat you as a cuddly uncle who doesn't think much of our sin, doesn't worry about it. There is an awe about coming into the presence of God, a holy fear. It seems to me there are two, two dangers that Christians fall into and sometimes oscillate between, that we need to recognise. And the one is complacency. There are many, many, many people who just a large proportion of our time, we are just too complacent about our sin. 
Sin is a terrifying reality. We cannot be complacent about it. But, but, but as people engage with that side of it, too often it fills them with such terror that they become um, obsessively paranoid about their sin and in their own hearts cut off from God. And that leaves us completely helpless in those sins, as we'll see in a minute. The, uh, the, the balance that we must have is neither complacent nor obsessively terrified. Let, let me try and give you an, an illustration. Um, most of you know we've got a young dog, Kezia. She's very naughty. She's terrible. Um, and um, uh, if you, when you see her prancing over the flower beds or doing one of the other numerous unmentionable things that she does, if you, if you see her doing that and you speak to her gently, she ignores you completely and just gets on with it. But we have a, another problem with her. If you are angry and severe, she goes into a complete tizzy. She, she, she does a little pirouette and won't come to you and gets in a panic and probably causes more damage to the flowers in the flower bed. Um, she, she's just beside herself then, terrified. How, how, do you, how do you deal with a dog like that? I'll, I'll tell you, the, 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 the technique that I used for a long time um, was to turn my back on her um, and to say, Kezia, you're a very naughty dog with my legs apart. And she would sheepishly, she would dare to come between my legs and come, come up to me and sort of uh, say sorry. She couldn't bear my face, but she could just about, you could tell her off and she would come to you if you turned your back on her. And in a sense, that, that's what God is doing to us. As, as, as he deals with us, he knows that it's deeply dangerous just to say, there, there, it doesn't matter. Because our human hearts will, will just run off to deeper and deeper and deeper damage. But he knows as well that if all we hear is him shouting in our faces, <coughs> then we won't have the resources to break the power of sin because we won't be enjoying the love of God. And so somehow scripture tries to balance those things as if God's turning his back and he's saying, you can come to me, don't be terrified. But you need to know your sin is dangerous. You, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord. Who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I want want you to to see and to to try to to, um, uh, affect in your heart something of that balance. That's what I think the psalmist has and that's what I think we have have to have. We must be terrified of sin. We must be assured of God's forgiveness. True believers have hearts that 
that, that um, uh, engage with both of those things and through that engagement find wholeness and peace. He has a real solid hope. It is not a hope without fear, without awe. But it is a confident hope. With you there is forgiveness. And then he exhibits another thing that we must have if we are to be people who are, are working effectively and properly on our sin. He exhibits patience. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. You and I have to interact with the reality that we will never have total victory over our sins. Okay? If we think that just the next thing, just the next push, just the next bit of effort, just the, just the next little solution that someone offers me to uh, um, that inveterate tendency to sin that I have, that will sort it and I will move on to Elysian fields of peace and so on. If we think that, after a while we will become exhausted and demoralised and, uh, and hopeless. <coughs> Be ready now. For as many days as you have on this earth, you will be waiting for your final liberation from sin. That is not a counsel of despair. You can have victories, you can grow. You can make progress. But the kind of victory we, we will win is like um, the victory that Baden-Powell won before he was famous for the scouts at Mafeking. Baden-Powell had a very um, small army and uh, he knew he had to do battle in the uh, Second Boer War and he knew that on the open field he could not stand up to the enemy. And so he chose a, a town, Mafeking, and uh, he uh, reinforced it and he settled in to defend it. The uh, enemy, who were much stronger, came against them and uh, to cut a long story short, they survived in that place for 217 days until finally the main army that had been very slow to mobilise came and rescued them and they won. You don't always win battles by just going out onto the field and being slaughtered. You win battles sometimes by staying safe within the defences. You, for the rest of your life, 
will be besieged by sin. Be assured of it. Now the cavalry is coming. Jesus Christ will liberate you. There will come a day of total freedom. But you win your battle by staying behind the defences. By staying secure in God's forgiveness. By ensuring that though those uh, uh, assaults come, you are safe, waiting. And longing. Notice that patience isn't uh, just about about um, relaxing in an armchair. Patience is, is, is associated with an eager longing. That repeated phrase, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning indicates that. There is a deep, aching longing. It is not a longing for an uncertain future. The morning will come. The sun does rise every morning and every watchman knows that. But it is a hope that we have not yet fully received. It's like, a, like an engaged couple who are not yet married and they're longing for that moment. There's a joyful ache about that, like a, like a hungry family who, um, if it's uh, like our household, interminable takes an interminable time to, to divide out the food while everyone's salivating and then, the, then you have to bow and give, uh, and give thanks before finally we can dive into it. But we're going to get it in a minute. We're waiting. We're longing. Like children on holiday. You know that, that sort of... You know, why do families put themselves in a tin box for several hours um, uh, and uh, think that that's the beginning of a fun time? And the children rightly see that it's not. And they say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And we will be. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. It is about waiting, it, patience is about waiting, patience is about longing, and patience is about trusting. The dawn will come. Did you notice in um, uh, uh, verse 5 there, in his word I put my hope. God has made certain promises to us. He forgives all your sins. Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins. He um, will not let you fall. He will complete the work that he has begun. He will restore his whole creation. If you are a believer here this morning, you will be part of that. In his word, I put my hope. But it has not happened yet. We wait. So here is his call to us then. His call to us, which summarises all that we've said but, uh, um, uh, up to now. Sin is serious. It takes us to the very uh, edge of hell. That is his cry. 
There is a confident hope that we can have of God's forgiveness which should not lead to complacency but humble fearing of God. There is a weight that we must endure. We must develop patience, a lifelong discipline of dealing with the assaults of sin. So Israel, so Maudlin Road as um, Edith said to us, will you put your hope in God? Put your hope in the Lord, verse 7, for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The Lord has unfailing covenant love. He promises it again and again and again. He loves you forever. There is nothing, says Romans 8, in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Will you put your hope in that Lord? The Lord promises, as he puts it, full redemption. You know what the psalmist spoke of there was nothing compared with what the New Testament has revealed. The restoration of all creation, the elimination of all evil, God himself wiping every tear from our eyes. The resurrection of our bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. With him is the fullest redemption that you can possibly imagine. And it comes from God himself. Do you see this? In verse 8, he himself will redeem Israel. I doubt the psalmist could have imagined that he himself would become flesh and dwell amongst us and pay for our sins himself and rise from the dead himself as the promise to us. But he did in Jesus. So pilgrim people, will you treat that tendency in your heart appropriately? Or will you ignore it? Will you recognise the fearfulness of it? Will you flee to the God in whom there is forgiveness? Will you put into, into place in your life patterns that will last for a lifetime that keep the siege walls up? Let me suggest a, a pattern of life that I've followed more or less for um, many years now. Um, for me it's daily, it doesn't necessarily have to be every day, but it's very, very simple. Every day I settle down to pray and I think first of all through the previous day. And I think of where I sinned and where 
I went wrong. And I seek God's forgiveness again. I seek a restoration of my relationship uh, with God. I seek to enjoy that, to restore that relationship so that I again have pleasure in my relationship with God which supersedes pleasure in sin. I ask God as well, what was it in me that made me sin in that way? And sometimes the answer is the same as I've had a thousand times. I know some of the things. Sometimes I just can't see it. And that's a danger sign. I need to understand something in my heart. And I can do that from the secure place of a solid, confident relationship with God. The only sins that can be defeated in your life are forgiven sins, let me assure you. And then when I've done that little bit of uh, work, I look forward to the next, to the day ahead. And I, such as I know it, I ask for God's help in that day. And then next day I look back at the day and ask God's forgiveness for the ways it went wrong. And the next day. And please God, that is the pattern of my life for the rest of my life. Because sins undealt with, sins left to run riot, will take you to the brink of hell. But sins dealt with, taken to God for his forgiveness will not immediately disappear. We have to wait. But the siege walls are up and they will not overcome us. As Edith said, O Maudlin Road, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem all his people who trust him from all their sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will give us hearts that fear evil, especially evil that rises from inside us. And that you will give us hearts which are confident in you. With you there is forgiveness. Please, Lord, help us to be people who walk closely with you and who enjoy for the rest of our days 
a promise that no sin will overcome us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps something of the spirit of the... Oh, sorry, I missed his call to us. The spirit of that... um, to being a, a mature adult who had gone through so much and uh, frankly I think it takes a lifetime very often to learn to trust God like that. We can start young but it does take a lifetime. One of the most amazing things about Joseph though is his attitude to his brothers in his uh, maturity. This is a, a picture which, uh, which it illustrates that. Joseph there, with the uh, uh, white on, is, is hugging maybe his youngest little brother, Benjamin, it looks like, but, uh, uh, who he particularly loved. But... Um, Uh, There he is with the other brothers as well as they kneel before him. He's not rejecting them. Still others are uh, standing a little further off, worried, concerned. When they've done so much horrible, uh, so many horrible things, such a great um, injustice to Joseph, would he accept them? Joseph says that he does. He forgives them. Now that is a real, real issue for us as Christians at every age because people do bad things to us. Perhaps not quite as bad as they did to Joseph. But they do bad things to us, don't they? They say that the the school playground, for instance, is one of the most violent uh, um, places you could find in Britain. People uh, are nasty to us. At school. Can we forgive them? And then on through rate of life. Sometimes it's family that we have to forgive. Sometimes it's people that we thought were friends. How can we do that? How can we possibly forgive them? How could Joseph possibly forgive his brothers? Well, Joseph had learned some lessons that helped him to forgive people who did bad things against him. One lesson he had learned is that no matter how bad people were, um, how, how much they mistreated him, God was not going to desert him. Camille read, didn't she, that God was with Joseph even in prison in Egypt. God looked after him. Joseph had learned that God actually not only is with those people, he honours us if we follow him and trust him. Now, it didn't all go smoothly for Joseph, did it? He he honoured God by running away from Potiphar's wife, but he ended up in prison. And he hoped he might get out of prison, but he didn't for a long, long time. But finally he could see God had honoured his life. God gave him success. In the end, God gave him the opportunity to be reconciled to his brothers. God does look after us, young and old, if we commit ourselves to following God and what he says. 
But do you know the most important thing that he had learned which helped him to forgive was that God actually uses everything that happens in our lives for good. There's a verse at the end, in fact, the, the, where Joseph explains why he forgives his brother. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, God says, You intended to harm, uh, Joseph says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Actually, God can do good even in bad things in our lives. And so the bad that people do to us, well, it's not as bad as we might have thought. Because God can use it to do good. And that confidence in Joseph's life gave him the ability to forgive his brothers and be reconciled to them. He needed to be sure that they had repented. He needed to be sure that they were sorry. Hence he tested them until Judah said, showed that he was sorry. Once he knew they were sorry, all their past wrongs disappeared from his heart.